go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John. Again, we should be uh, seeing some more music coming into this opening space as uh, the weeks go on here. Kind of miss that, don't you? Yeah, very much so. Gospel of John and chapter 11. I want to bring a message that I was tweaking up until about 8:30 this morning. <laughs> Just uh, thoughts and uh, but I'm 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 more pleased with it than I was when uh, I went to bed last night. So uh, just, okay, Lord, you know, do what you want to do. So title of the message this morning, seeing God's glory, seeing God's glory. First of all, have you, who all has seen, uh, that mini series, the chosen? Have you seen that, uh, a lot, but, but not all of us. Um, if, if not, I highly, highly recommend it's uh, it's on YouTube. Um, there is actually a chosen app. Um, there's there's a lot of just just Google it. There's a lot of ways to uh, see that first um, uh, season, and they're they're filming the second season now, getting ready to begin to show that uh, around Easter time. Um, they have done a great great time uh, job in portraying. Uh, not just the factual information of the life and ministry of Jesus, um, but unlike a lot of films uh, that, that we've seen on the life of Jesus, they have more in, I would say, novel form. Um, they, they've gone much deeper into character development, uh, Peter and Matthew and, and even Jesus himself. And, and I think it, it's done in a way that really helps us to identify with people. Um, their, 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 their personalities, their strengths, their weaknesses, their struggles, and to also better understand the time uh, in which they lived. That, you know, we, we, we need more context, I think. It helps us to understand. Now, it's not meant to carry the weight of the inspired word of God. Okay, when we look at some of these character portrayals, we, we, we can't give it the same oomph you know, that we give the Bible by any means. Um, but it is for what it is. When we put it in its proper context, I think it's very helpful both to believers and to unbelievers. And one of the things that, that Kathleen and I both said uh, as we talked about it is it gives a depth to the human side of Jesus that we just haven't seen before. Uh, That again, in the right perspective, doesn't detract any from his divinity, um, but it helps us to relate to him on a human level, helps us to relate to him as he relates to us, as the son of God puts on human flesh and relates in human ways to people, people, all kinds of people with different personalities. And uh, again, I, I, I think that's very helpful to us um, as, as we relate to Jesus. And, and what we find here in our text in John 11 is a few people, uh, two sisters and a brother, to be exact, that were not part of the 12 official disciples, um, but nonetheless were close friends 
of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus had friends, <laughs> uh, just like we do, right? Again, that, that human side of Jesus. People that he was close to um, outside of work, okay? Uh, people that he wasn't only trying to save, which, of course, that was everybody, but those that he was literally fond of in a human sense. And that was the case with this family. Uh, John 11, beginning of verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Hey, note that in John's parentheses here uh, of Mary anointing the Lord with ointment, uh, though it's something that happened in the past, it's something that John actually hasn't written about yet. It, it would be kind of like me writing my memoirs and uh, talking about going to a wedding and seeing Kathleen in this gorgeous uh, southern wedding bell, southern uh, bell wedding dress, not wedding dress, uh, bridesmaid's dress. Um, just see, it's still just so it, it just makes me go crazy. Um, so so what John is doing here, I, I so I could say, you know, in, in writing this, I could say, and there she was standing there looking absolutely breathtaking. This this girl that I would propose to in a Sunday school classroom. OK, I hadn't proposed to her yet at that point. Both of the things are in the past, but I'm relating the same person to this event. And that's what John was doing. He was relating the same Mary to this person here. And, and that, that's, that's important um, because we, we, we have to know we have the right person because that event that he's going to be writing about with Mary doing that uh, happened in the house of Lazarus, okay? About six days before Jesus was crucified. And so Mary is not the same woman of the night who anointed Jesus's feet in the house of Simon the Pharisee in Luke 7. So because there was a couple different instances of that, we need to make sure we have the right person. So we're not thinking that Mary is um, the woman of the night here. So anyway, so the fact is Lazarus, Jesus's good friend, is very, very sick. And so verse three, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard of it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay, so here is an instance where you and I get to see the kind of relationship that the Father and the Son shared, the kind of communication that there was between them. Jesus said elsewhere, I only do the things that I see my Father doing, right? So apparently the father had already spoken to Jesus about this situation. Before that messenger came, Jesus already knew he was going to get a report. And he already knew from the father that this illness was not going to lead to death. But there was something um, bigger in it here, something that would lead to the glory of God and the glorification of Jesus. Now, look what it says here in verse five. He says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister 
and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days longer in the place where he was. Wait, read that again? He loved them. So instead of rushing right out there, when he was called for, he stayed where he was two more days. What? (laughs) Right? Doesn't that strike you as odd? He loved them. So he stayed where he was two more days. Now, this... Don't miss this. This this is important because there is a reason why there is a period after verse 5. Because that point of fact needs to be established for them and for us. You and I have to know, no matter how our prayer is answered, right? And that was a prayer, wasn't it, in effect? Mary and Martha called upon the Lord. They needed help from him. That was basically a prayer, right? So no matter how our prayer is answered, we must establish the fact that our prayer is being heard and answered by someone who loves us, period. He loved them, period. We need to establish that fact. But, but, even though it was answered by someone who loved them, someone who was their friend, someone who had affection for them, he answered it according to his wisdom, to his knowledge, to his perspective and understanding, to his ultimate plan. Just a couple of days ago, I was talking to Jeff Rotes, who is doing really well, by the way, Um, You may recall from the the prayer chain that when he fell the first time, he he went on the chain, right? We all started praying for Jeff. Now, I don't know all of your individual prayers praying for Jeff, but I can probably guess that the average prayer was, Lord, would you, um, you know, heal Jeff and, and put him back, you know, where he was before he fell? Something to that effect, right? And lo and behold, how was that prayer answered? He fell again. And he had to go to the hospital. Now, the hospital being probably a pretty scary place for someone with health issues, right, Um, at that time. This was, uh, you know, back the end of December here, or end of January. Uh, Then on top of it all, he ended up getting covid Something that was feared could very well have been fatal for Jeff. So how's that for answered prayer? All right? We're all praying for Jeff. Lord, heal Jeff. Get him, get him, get him back to where he was. He falls again. He has this, this issue with his leg. He has to go to the hospital. From the hospital, he has to go to rehab. From rehab, he gets COVID. Where's the answered prayer? Right, But when Jeff fell the second time, he said to me this. He said he felt the Lord speaking to him. And he said, Jeff, what are you doing on the floor? He said, this isn't what I've called you to. This isn't the plan 
that I have for your life. And Jeff very transparently shared with me, and I asked him if I could share it with you. He had almost gotten to the point of no return physically, where he would have probably spent the rest of his life in bed. And not only that, he had gotten to the point spiritually where he was discouraged, where he had lost hope, and where he wasn't having very much to do with God. But now, where is Jeff? He's lost between 70 and 80 pounds. He's up walking. Even though he had COVID, which was, you know, fearful, he was asymptomatic. And Jeff knows that he knows that he knows that God is not done with him. He's got a hope. He's got a future. He's in a good place. Hmm. And as soon as he can walk, he said, from, from his door to the, to the stop sign at the corner and back, he's coming back to church. And how long has that been? Now, I have to say this, too. One of the things that encouraged him most was the cards and the prayers from his church family. People he knew and people he didn't that said, hey, I'm praying for you. He said, I felt every one of those prayers. My brothers and sisters, let me tell you, our prayers are heard and answered by someone who loves us. Deeply loves us. But he has an understanding that we don't have. For each and every situation that we bring to him in prayer, he has knowledge. He has understanding. He has plans. He has purposes that are far beyond ours. Plans that reveal his glory, that reveal his goodness, his faithfulness. His power. And do you remember uh, what, what the Lord told Paul about his thorn in the flesh? What did he say? He said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. It's when we trust him when things look hopeless that he shows himself trustworthy. It's when we depend on him because of all our strength and resources are gone that he can show himself dependable. And when we see his glory, when God is glorified in our lives, we are ultimately blessed as well, aren't we? And strengthened even more in our faith. But, my friends, getting to that place of weakness is not always easy. Okay, it's never easy, is it? I've told you before how I was up several times during the night with my dad to the point of absolute exhaustion. But through that, I tapped into a power, a sustaining strength of God that I hadn't known before. And I knew that because several years ago, 
I went through a place of lack of sleep and stress, and I developed heart palpitations. And over the years, when I would get to a place where I would lose sleep for a number of nights in a row, I would start to get those palpitations again. And I would tell Kathleen, I said, I just, I just need to get more sleep. I need to go to bed early, you know, et cetera. I got to get my strength back because I can feel this coming on again. And during that time with my dad, I didn't have one heart palpitation. I, I went far beyond what I had gone before in, in lack of sleep. Not once. Not once. Even my boss said, I, I don't know how you're doing this. <laughs> I said, I do. Right? Gave me a chance to glorify him, didn't it? He was glorified in my situation. I was at a loss. I had no strength. I had no resource of my own. He was glorified. And I was blessed. I was blessed. Seeing God's glory involves risk. It involves the willingness to let go of our comfort, of our plans, of our wisdom. And maybe the answers to prayers the way we had figured that they should go. But we can do that, right? Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us, period. We can trust him not only with our prayers, not only with our prayers, but with our obedience. Look at verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Right? Can, can, can you just feel the emotion in there? You're going there again? Right? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not with him. Let me try to unpack this. John, in his epistles, talks about walking in the light as he is in the light, right? So those who walk in harmony with God, those who walk in the will of God, are said to be in the light. Those who walk outside of the will of God or contrary to God's will, we say they are in darkness. Okay, so just so we get that foundation here. So what Jesus is saying here is that just like there's 12 hours in a day, give or take, there is time, there is opportunity for you and I to walk in the will of God. And when we do that will of God, Jesus said, we are walking in the light, therefore we will not stumble. We will not err. See, they thought, the disciples thought he was, he was in error. He was, he, you know, like, what? You're going back there? They were just about to stone you to death. And you're going back there, right? They feared for him. They probably feared for themselves. They thought, I mean, are you crazy? 
They may, may not have said that to him, with, you know, the way they respected him, but or dare they think it, right? But Jesus said, no. He said, you are looking at this from man's perspective. Again, God has plans and purposes for you and I that are beyond ours. Things that he wants to accomplish that don't necessarily line up with our understanding, our conventional wisdom, our plans, right? Think about it. It was also pretty ridiculous for Gideon to go against an army of 135 plus people with 300 men. Right? For, for Joshua to march around the city seven times and then yell. Right? For Mary to agree to be unwed and pregnant in the days in which she lived. Now, these situations, from our perspective, worked out pretty good, didn't they? They worked out great. But we probably wouldn't say the same thing for Jeremiah, the prophet who died in captivity, or for Stephen, the first Christian martyr, right? Did Stephen err? Did Stephen stumble when he stood before the council and the high priest and declared to them with, with, with straight face that they had just murdered the Messiah? No. He did as he was led of God to do. But you see, you and I, we have this natural bent towards self-preservation, don't we? And that's really okay, because that's the way God made us, right? Fight or flight to keep us from danger. That's a good thing that God built in us. But like everything else, it got distorted in the fall. It got distorted when sin came into the Garden of Eden and humankind changed. And so self-preservation becomes looking out for number one. Right? The very first thing that Adam did was blame Eve, wasn't it? He wasn't thinking about her. He wasn't thinking about how much trouble she could get. He was trying to save his own skin, right? Plain and simple. How often does our personal gain or comfort weigh in on our decision-making? Right? And so when you and I become the center of our own universe, our perspective becomes small. We begin to think in terms of me and now instead of what's best for all concerned and for the long term. Right? Because that sense of self got distorted. And when we do that, we often settle for less than what God might have for us. We miss seeing the glory of God. Because we take control of the situation, we work it the way we want. Sometimes we win the battle and lose the war. Sometimes we flat out get ourselves into trouble. I do. Right? Because my perspective is small. Not looking at the big picture. 
following the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit is not the easy road. Read Romans chapter 8. It talks all about that conflict between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh is like me, me. I, I got to protect. I got to, you know, I got to come out on top. I got me, 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 right? And that wars against God's going, hey, I got this, this, this wonderful thing for you. Think about Stephen for a minute. That same commitment to the will of God that got him martyred just a few paragraphs before that, he was out doing signs and wonders, right? He wasn't even an official apostle, but here he is doing signs and wonders before the people. He's laying hands on people. People are getting healed. People are getting delivered of stuff, right? And who knows what else? The Bible doesn't go into detail. He is walking in the will of God. He's walking in the glory. He's walking in the power. Things are happening in the ministry of Stephen. Why? Because of his commitment to the will of God above what does Stephen want today? We can miss out on so much with that little perspective. Stepping out of our comfort zone. Right? That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you all know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Some of us do have a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience. And sometimes some of our greatest strengths can be our greatest weaknesses, right? The number one question in prayer and in direction that you and I need to ask is, what God do you want in this situation? What are you doing? What are you up to? What do you want me to do here? Do you want me to take the bull by the horns and, and, and stand up for myself, or do you want me to just let this go and face the unknown holding on to your hand? Because the truth is, God's will is always right, isn't it? It's always best. No matter how it looks, no matter what the cost, God's will is always the right thing to do. Why? Because in the end run, our welfare in this life and all of eternity is really in his hands, isn't it? So we're obeying him. We're going where he wants. We're doing what he wants. That's the best thing that we can do. All the time. All the time. Trust me, I've gone the other way. Doesn't work out as well. Our welfare is in the hands of the one with all wisdom with all knowledge, with all understanding, and with all power. Amen? So when we walk in the day, when we walk in God's will, we will not stumble, Jesus says. Sure, Stephen was martyred, but 
what awaited him on the other side. A crown that only martyrs get. I don't know what all that is, but I'll tell you what. It's good. It's good. He may have missed out on some things on this earth. But 10,000 years from now, he's going to be enjoying things. Amen. The will of God, always right. And where do we primarily find his will? In this book we call the Bible, right? It may not tell us what we want to hear. It may not line up with our plans and our comfort. It may not line up with what today's so-called experts are telling us. In some cases, it may look ridiculous or downright dangerous, but it's always right. And I will guarantee you, no, God will guarantee you that 10,000 years from now, you'll be glad you did. You will be glad you did. So, God may not answer our prayers the way we want, He may wait another two days, three days, five days, a week, two weeks, a month, two years. But we can trust him, can't we? When sometimes it just looks so clear to us. God, this is the answer, I know, right? So clear to us at our level, at our perspective. Versus the incredible wisdom and understanding of God. Now, I've told you before, I, I, I do this in my prayers, and I've been caught at it a number of times, you know, saying, God, okay, here it is, step by step, here's what you need to do. And God just, yeah. And, and, and I find myself praying more like David, you know, where David would say, Lord, answer me according to your loving kindness. Answer me according to your faithfulness and your steadfast love and your compassion. Right? Not telling him what to do, but he is he's feeding his own faith, even as he's he's just telling God, God, you you have all wisdom, you have all power, right? You you you're loving, you're good, you're kind. So answer me according to that. I'll take that. Because I know that's best. I find myself in my prayers more and more saying, God, what do you want in this? What do you want to do in this situation? I know what I want, and I'll tell him what I want. God, this this is what I want. I want to see this person and this happen in their life. I want to see this happen in my life, you know. But in the end run, what are you doing? What do you want to do? And I'll wait. Sometimes, again, days, weeks. Talk to me, Lord. Give me direction. How do you want me to handle this situation? Because his way is always, always best. And it will lead to us seeing his glory. Not our own, which is all, which is always less, right, than what we could have had. 
but seeing his glory. When he is glorified, which really is our number one goal, isn't it? To glorify God. When he is glorified, we also experience our greatest blessings. And we can trust him in that. Why? Because he loves us, period. He loves us. Don't ever forget that. And how can we be absolutely certain of that love? By looking at the cross. By looking at the cross. By looking at the extent that he would go, the voluntary sacrifice that he would make to demonstrate to us his incredible love for us. Amen. What a great lead into communion. Amy, would you come to the piano? Let's look at that cross this morning. Let's 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 build our foundation on that love. Let's let's make the decision to glorify him, to step out of our comfort zone, to give him our prayers, to give him the direction of our lives as we found that upon his love this morning. Just take a moment to pray. Meditate on these things.
let's go ahead and wiggle that top portion here and open up just that top cellophane section. Oh, Lord Jesus. Voluntarily, you did this. The God of creation come to earth, wrapped in human flesh, to show us the extent of your love. Allowing your body to be broken, allowing the incredible physical pain and the incredible weight of sin upon yourself, Lord, that we might be the beneficiaries of an eternity of blessing and glory. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for revealing the love of God to us, your creation. We give you the praise and the honor, Lord. And Jesus, that night, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you as often as you would do it. Do it in remembrance of me. Let's partake together this symbol of the Lord's broken body. Go ahead and carefully open that foil. Not just pain and suffering, Lord, but all the way to death. All the way to death so that we would not have to die for our sin. All the way to death and resurrection so that we could also live. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the shed blood that paid the price for all of our sin. Thank you for the gift of righteousness, Lord. Perfect righteousness before you that we couldn't earn, that we couldn't deserve. That you give us as a gift through faith in you. Once again, Lord, with, with gratitude in our hearts, we praise you. On that night, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you would drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. The symbol of the Lord's shed blood. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. You truly are our all in all. We praise you and we thank you, Lord. In your awesome name.